0: Hi, you've just downloaded or otherwise accessed a podcast of Cross Point Church and the teaching ministry presented through our weekly Sunday morning worship. Feel free to burn a copy of this file when you're finished and pass it along to a friend you think might also benefit from the teaching. We hope you enjoy the message today, and thanks again for taking the time to visit. If the bad outweighs the good, then that means that I'm not enough. And if I'm not enough, then why why even try? I would say that's a common feeling among most people in our society. If the bad outweighs the good, then I'm not enough. And if I'm not enough, then what? Um, Alan Jackson has a song out right now on the radio called Where I Come From. And the chorus of that song says where i come from it's cornbread and chicken where i come from a lot of front porch sitting where i come from trying to make a living and working hard to get to heaven where i come from and i would say that's a common belief in our culture in fact i would say that's probably a common belief in our churches that the harder we work the more heaven is attainable the more good we are the more heaven is attainable the more if if, if the scales in our mind that the, the that there that has good on one side and bad on the other if the good is if the good is outweighing the bad we're in good shape otherwise i'm not enough and i don't like the picture that's painted in i'm not enough because then i have to come to grips with the fact that i was never enough and regardless of how good i am or good i can be that'll never be enough apart from knowing him he's enough we're going to see that this uh this this text tonight i think is um and as we're winding up this this series here on cultural christianity i think it i think this is probably one of the more stark truths that we'll look at tonight than than any we've looked at in these several weeks about this idea of goodness and uh, about this idea that, that 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 god likes us better if we're good somehow and i'm just going to tell you we'll reinforce this with the scripture that we're going to we're going to be looking at tonight. But I want to tell you before we even begin, that's a lie straight out of hell. It's a lie from the enemy, and most people have been believing it all this time. That the better I am, the more God likes me. The more, the more good I do, the happier He is with me. Well, what I want to see tonight is this difference between doing good and being good. There's a stark difference. He paints that in this text, uh, in these two texts. Actually, we'll look at turn to. Turn in your Bibles to Matthew chapter 12, and then we'll spend the most of our time in Matthew 16, or 19 rather, but I want you to see this verse in Matthew 12 first and see how it it compares with this other text that we're going to look at from Matthew 16. Jesus speaking both places here. Verse 33 of Matthew 12, Make a tree good, and its fruit will be good. Or make a tree bad, and its fruit will be bad. For a tree is recognized by its fruit. In essence, Good fruit comes from a good tree. Good deeds come from a good person, do they not? Is that what he would have us believe? Now turn to Matthew chapter 19. And here's this question that's that's posed to him and how he responds to this this rich young man that comes to him and how he uses it not only this this instance to teach him and, and consequently teaching us, but to teach the 12 followers that he has is, I think, great, great. Well, he's the master teacher. We'll see that. Just then, verse 16 of Matthew 19, Just then a man came up to Jesus and asked, Teacher, what good thing must I do to get eternal life? Why do you ask me about what is good? Jesus replied. There is only one who is good. If you want to enter life, keep the commandments. Which ones? He inquired. Jesus replied, Do not murder. Do not commit adultery. Do not steal. Do not give false testimony. Honor your father and mother and love your neighbor as yourself. All these I've kept, the young man said, what do I still lack? Jesus answered, if you want to be perfect, go sell your possessions and give to the poor and you'll have treasure in heaven. Then come and follow me. When the young man heard this, he went away sad because he had great wealth. Then Jesus said to his disciples, truly, I tell you, it's hard for the rich to enter the kingdom of heaven. And again, I tell you, it's easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for the rich to enter the kingdom of God. When the disciples heard this, they were greatly astonished and asked, Who then can be saved? Jesus looked at them and said, With people this is impossible, but with God all things are possible. Peter answered him, We have left everything to follow you. What then will be there for us? Jesus said to them, Truly, I tell you, at the renewal of all things, when the Son of Man sits on his glorious throne, you who have followed me will also sit on twelve thrones, judging the twelve tribes of Israel. And everyone who has left houses or brothers or sisters or father or mother or children or fields for my sake will receive a hundred times as much and will inherit eternal life. But many who are first will be last and many who are last first. Now, this juxtaposition here between being good and doing good is I think a picture he paints for this, this rich young man and I want you to see how he does this. First of all, being good is not a question of quantity. And he asks him that question, or he, he deals with this in verses uh, 16 to 19. He comes up, teacher, what good m- must I do? Keep the commandments, Jesus says. The next verse, he asks, which ones? And so, in, in essence, how much do I have to do to please you? How much do I have to do to have? What's the bottom line for me? Will you bottom line it for me? What's the minimum amount that I've got to do to get in? That's all I want to know. Just tell me what the minimum amount, amount is that I've got, to, I've got to get in. Jesus tells him these these four here, um, these four commandments that that he, I believe, was probably pretty adept at. In fact, um, Jesus sees <clears throat> to his heart and sees to his motive to, as as to why he's asking this question. And I think um, it's my opinion about it, it, this is totally conjecture on my part now i'll I'll tell you the things i've gotten from the lord that i believe are are solid from him and and things that are all all me and this is all me but here's what i believe i believe about this i believe he told him these four because he was good at those four he had accomplished those four in fact he tells he, he responds to jesus in the very next verse i've kept those what else I think Jesus, knowing him and knowing his, this is God now, you get to realize, knowing him and knowing his heart and knowing his motive, I think, looked him in the eye and told him these four because those are the four he had kept. He hadn't kept the other six. The the other six being, uh, remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy, put God first, don't covet. He he, he left the other six aside, and the four that he kept are the four that Jesus points to him. And what, what Jesus is doing, he's a master teacher here, what he's doing is reeling this guy in. Because he, he, he spouts off the four to him that he's been good at, and he reels, he reels him in. What else do I have to do? Oh, go sell all you have, and give it to the poor, and come follow me. Well, he is asking a quantitative question, and Jesus doesn't answer it quantitatively. Jesus answers it very matter-of-factly to say, it's, you're asking the wrong question, in essence. You're not asking, how much should I do? You're asking, or what you should be asking is, what do I do? Who do I need to know? What, what connection do I have to have to inherit eternal life? Not how much do I have to get by? What, how little can I do to get by with and still make it in? Here's the issue. And he had this issue. Oftentimes we have this issue. When we try and back the king of the universe into a legalistic corner, we're going to come out bloody and beaten because he wins every time. We can't win a battle of legalism with him. We can't win an argument of this sure this and this, this T is crossed and this I is dotted and this commandment is done to the letter and this one is a little bit shady and gray. And there is no negotiation with someone who's perfect. There's no negotiation with a, with a Savior who's sinless because we're not. And on our best day, uh, we don't measure up. So why is this such a, such, a, such a failing argument? It's because of this. And he points this out to him. this is the very thing he's illustrating. You can't be good enough to work your way in. It's not a quantitative question. It's not which commandments or what else do I have? What's what's the next thing? Will you spell it out for me? Will you give me these three things? I'll do these three things I'm in. And Jesus says, you're asking the wrong question. It's not a quantitative question. It's not how much. It's not how much you have, how much you know, how many people you have influence on. It's not a quantitative question. Secondly, being good... Is a, is a position of perfection. Look in verses 20 to 22 with me. All these I've kept, he says. What do I still lack? Like? Jesus answered, if you want to be perfect, that, that word perfect is complete, lacking nothing. It's not necessarily perfect in the sense that there is there's no flaw. But spiritually speaking, he says, if you want to be complete and lacking nothing in a perfected state, he says, go, sell your possessions, Give to the poor, you'll have treasure. Young man heard this, went away sad because he had great wealth. What is he doing? Jesus is is tying goodness to perfection. He's tying goodness to completion, to, to, to this person, this state of lacking nothing. And he's referring to actually this glorified state that's why down here in, this, in, the, in the last verses, verses 29, 28, 29, and 30, he refers, in fact, he uses the, 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 the term, truly I tell you, in verse 28, at the renewal of all things. In other words, when all things are renewed and made perfect and made spotless and made sinless and made holy, that's when you'll get it. That's the state I'm talking about. He said that is the, the perfected, glorified state. Everything else here on earth pales in comparison to that. And so our good on our best day here is nothing compared to the goodness that we will experience when we are in a perfected, glorified, holy state like him. And so Jesus is saying, goodness here is, an, is a moving target. It's unachievable on earth. The only, the only time you will experience goodness in the, in the way you're asking me about it, perfection, holiness, eternal life, is in the state of glorified, when, you, when your body and your, your soul are glorified in, your, in, in my presence here in, in, the, in eternity. Now, why is it significant? Well, what he's doing here is, is he's drawing, and I tried to explain this earlier, he's drawing a clear line of distinction between being good and doing good. Because the, 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 this rich young man says, what must I do? What, what are the things I have to do? What's the good deeds that I have to do in order to inherit eternal life? Jesus says, no, it's not about good deeds. That's not about you, you're not getting it. It's what I'm, when I'm referring to goodness, I'm referring to this perfected state like me and like your father, and like you will be if you know me, if you have a relationship with me. So it's not about the good things you do. The good things you do don't make you a good person. The good things you do are just good things that are done. He's he's, he's dissecting between these two to illustrate, and he's doing that not only for him but for you and I because our culture doesn't get this. Our culture still ties together these, 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 uh, these strings between being good and doing good are the same thing. Jesus said, no, they're not. Anybody can do good, but we are not good. None of us are good and won't be until we are in our perfected state with him. He's saying in these verses. And so that line is is just as clear. He's, he's trying to make it just as clear here between being good, doing good as it is probably in our 21st century culture of cultural Christianity and being a fully devoted follower of Jesus. And I'm going to tell you, being a fully devoted follower of Jesus, this book is full of those kinds of things, full of those kinds of behaviors. In fact, tonight we're finishing up this story uh, or this, this this series of study in cultural Christianity and we're going to see what Jesus had to say about Christ, Christian culture in the Sermon on the Mount for the next probably several weeks, six, at least six or seven weeks when we we'll look at the Sermon on the Mount. And he attacks cultural Christianity in its face and says, here's what it is, here's what it isn't. And i want to tell you real clearly so that everybody understands it. So Matthew chapter 5 and 6 is where we'll be for the next few weeks. But he's, he's drawing a clear line in the sand here for these folks to say, cultural Christianity ties those things together. The scripture separates them. Cultural Christianity says doing good is being good, and being good is doing good. And he says, no, good has nothing to do with it whatsoever. It has to do with, do you know me? Not are your works good enough to get to me? But knowing me is the portal to me, not doing good things for me. It's just position of perfection, and he's trying to get this guy to see. That's a glorified state. That's not an earthly state. Good is never accomplishable here. In in the sense we can do good things here. But a, a, a state of being good is not accomplishable here. Now, thirdly, being good is not a cultural but a spiritual thing. It's not cultural, but it's spiritual. Verse 23 to 26, he has this conversation with his disciples. The disciples are blown away. Because here is the pinnacle of society. Here's the guy that's kept the law. He's been above reproach. He's a person of integrity. The people in the town look up to him. He's been a pinnacle of the community. And so the disciples ask him, in fact, Peter says, Then who can be saved? If not this guy. This guy's he's adhered to the law. He's 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 done all these good things, he's been blessed. And blessing from God financially in in that day and time, and often in our day and time, equates with with, he's found God's favor. If he has a lot of stuff, then God likes him. God's blessed him. And so they equate that same human equation back to Jesus, just like we are equating it in our day. Then who can be saved if not this guy? He's got it all together. And and, and their, their, their confusion here is they're seeing a cultural answer to a spiritual need. And he points that out to them. Uh, in fact, he says, um, says to Peter here or says to the disciples and heard this, they're greatly astonished and who can be saved. Jesus looked at him and says, with people, this is impossible, but with God, all things are possible. This is a spiritual issue, not cultural. This is not about doing the right things, having the right contacts, being in the right position, knowing the right folks, saying the right things, going to church, knowing the songs, knowing enough scripture, having four or five Bibles at home. Not about any of that. It's not a cultural thing. It's a spiritual thing. Um, When our faith is, and he's pointing this out to them indirectly, when our faith is in the things we've accomplished and the things we've accumulated, or both, we're going to find that we're we're in a clear distinction there um, of standing before him one day and either A, being disappointed as a believer to hear him say, Here's what you chose. Here's what you put your faith in. Here's what I had for you. Here's what you chose. Here's what you put your faith in. And here's what I had for you. Or, as an unbeliever, instead of standing before the judgment seat of Christ, standing before the great white throne judgment of God, and hearing him say, I don't know you. Depart from me. And being cast into a real place called hell. Why? Because we thought goodness got us to him somehow. A lost person did. And as a believer, we thought goodness made us glean his favor more. He said, no, that's got nothing to do with it. So if we can't see that cultural distinction between what our culture says is important and our culture says is is access to God and blessing from God and and evidence that God likes us and we're we're okay, we're in with him, and what he says is a spiritual pursuit, if we can't see the distinction between those two, we're probably going to be straddling the fence the way most of us do, working hard to get to heaven like Alan Jackson is singing about, and feeling inadequate all the while, the natural pursuit. Fourthly, being good is not just a position or a question of quantity and a position of perfection and, and spiritual pursuit, but it's a matter of understanding, and this is huge. It's a matter of understanding delayed reward, and our culture so doesn't get that. We live in a culture with such a, such of a sense of immediacy that it's and it's growing uh, in, in a further direction of immediacy. Look at verse twenty-seven. Peter answered it. We've left everything to follow you. What will be there for us, he says. We've walked away from We've walked away from livelihood. We've walked away from friends. We've walked away from family. We walked away on the day you called us. I can almost hear Peter saying, pointing he doesn't say all this because scripture just tells Luke, I mean Matthew tells us what he said. But I hear I, I see this going through Peter's mind. On the day you called us, we had the biggest catch of our career. We had the biggest payday of our career on the day you come by and said, Follow me. And we walked away from all of that to follow you. What's going to be there for us? Now, here's here's a little snippet. Peter starts to get it. In the way that he asks the question, you can hear it. What's going to be there for us? What then will be there for us? Not what's here. He starts to get what Jesus is saying, that this is not about being and good, doing good here. It's about knowing me. And knowing me makes you in a good, glorified, perfected, completed state there. He gets what he's about. He understands, starts to get this fact that, that um, there is delayed reward. Why? Because what Peter said, we're, we've been we've been following you here. In other words, we're all in, and we've been all in. What's there for us? And look at Jesus' answer. He says to him, uh, "I tell you that at the renewal of all things, when the Son of Man sits on His glorious throne, and it's, this, is, this is eternity, we're talking about." You who have followed me will also sit on the twelve thrones, judging the twelve tribes of Israel, and everyone who has left houses or brothers or sisters or father and mother or children or fields, livelihood in essence, for my sake will receive a hundred times as much and will inherit eternal life. Instead of asking, and Peter asked the right question, our culture doesn't. Peter asked, here's the real question Peter asked Jesus, is this going to be worth it? Is following you really worth it? Is it going to, and what the question our our culture is asking now in our day and time, and what that rich young man was asking him was, what's in it for me? Knowing Jesus, what's in it for me? In fact, what's in it for me right now? I understand the heaven thing. I'm good with that. All of us want to go to heaven. uh, I'm cool with that. But what's in it for me right now? Wrong question to ask. Peter finally gets it here. He sees where Jesus is going with this guy, and he says, will it be worth it for us then? Is there some reward then? Because we walked away from everything to follow you. I mean, we're all in. We've grabbed you with everything we've got. Will it be worth it for us then? I hear, you. I hear what you're saying. What's out there for us then? And Jesus says, here it is. Whatever you've left it's going to be returned to you a hundredfold, and you're going to have a position of influence like you've never had before. In essence, he's saying, yeah, it is worth it. And the right question to ask is, "Will it be worth it then?" Not, "What's in it for me now?" And that's the question our culture is asking. Um, you don't believe that? Um, go to any bookstore and look at look at what sell, look at the New York Times bestseller list of books and see what see what 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 the subject matter is, what the themes are. It is the, the, the quicker I can get from here to there, and the easier I can get from here to here, or up the up the ladder from here. To, or what will make me more fulfilled, more complete, more in tune with myself, understanding your inner self in a deep... You you fill in all the, all the book titles you want to fill in, and they're all there all over the shelves, and they're selling all over the place. You know why? Because we want to know what's in it for me now, here. Not what the delayed reward is. There is no sense of patience in the kingdom, and sadly enough, in most churches anymore. Um, this church was begun... And will at least as long as I'm here, begun grounded in the Scripture. Now, it's not real glamorous (laughs) because there's not a you know when you when you when you're really holding holding high the Word of God, and saying this is the thing that will change your life, not the program we do over here, or the thing that for kids over there, or the the Nicaragua trip over here, or the, the the it's not all the all the trappings and all the program and all the facilities. But this book will change your life. This church was begun on the fact that the scriptures is held into a high place, and we're going to do things biblically. Now, that's not real glamorous. And consequently, there's a few of us here tonight. We're not growing really fast, but you know what I see happening? I see life change happening in people. You know why? I see them taking this book more seriously than they ever had before. I see them taking a walk with, with Christ more intimately and, and desiring that at a deeper level, perhaps, than they ever had before. Now, Long term, I'm convinced that's going to influence people and we're going to grow. But that's not real glamorous. It's a long-term view. It's not really a, let's get out of the blocks and make sure we have 300 people by year five or put all the programs and gimmicks in place and that's not what this church is about. And that's that's where most of our culture is. Most of our culture is so impatient. In fact, it amazes me. I I meet together with church plant pastors on a reasonably regular basis and it amazes me how frustrated they are with, with how impatient their people are. Something's cooler over here. The band's cooler over here, so I'm going to go over here to this church because they got a cooler band. Or the, the student ministry is really zapping over here. And I'm gonna, you know, Or, the, the, the man, their Bible school, their, what they do for kids is off the charts over here. And so it's, I'm three years over here, I'm three years over here, I'm three years over here, and I'm going from church plant to church plant to church plant to find the coolest thing for me and my family right now. What's in it for me right now? And we shop for we shop for we shop in the kingdom that way. We shop for churches that way. We shop for wives and husbands that way. We shop for jobs that what's in it for me now? As opposed to looking down the road to say, Will I be any better, deeper, look more like him for this time? And so Peter's asking the right question, and our culture isn't. And so I hope you see this contrast that Jesus is drawing here for for these twelve guys and for this rich young guy to say, it's don't equate being good with doing good. Nothing wrong with doing good. We just looked at that in Matthew 12. A good tree ought to bear good fruit. And we ought to, and, and James is full of that. We ought to do good things because we know him. That ought to be the result of, of who we are, but that doesn't make us good. Doing good things doesn't make us good. It doesn't make him love us anymore or any more close to us um, this is, a, this is a down-the-road issue, and, and we, have to, we have to see that for what it is. And and, and, equate, and here's, here's kind of an afterthought in verse 29. He says, you know, because Peter asked him, will this be worth it, really? I mean, we, we, we're all in. We've left you. We're not going anywhere. Regardless of what your answer is, we're still with you. <laughs> but will this be worth it for us? And, and Jesus says, here's the way it is. I'm going to have all you 12 judge the 12 tribes of Israel, and anything you've ever left, walked away from, you're going to get it back a hundredfold. Now that's a pretty significant answer. But he adds in here it's kind of, and I think it's almost sly to to answer Peter this way, but he slides it in here to say, Oh, and by the way, you get eternal life too. That ought to be worth it all, regardless if you get anything back. Forget the hundredfold, forget the you get eternal life too. You get to live with me forever too. How about that? So he answers Peter's question in the here and now to say, I know, I know your motive for the question. And I think it's pure. So I'm going to tell you what I think you want to hear, and I'm going to tell you what you need to hear. Probably what you want to hear is, you're going to get it all back and then some. You're going to be blessed beyond measure. But even greater than that blessing beyond measure is spending eternity with me. Do you get that? That's the more significant answer. And that's the one we ought to be looking for. Now, how do we sum all this up? These 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 are four clear things, I think, that Jesus says in this passage. And I think, as, as I said, he's drawn a clear line between being good and doing good and trying to help us see that I don't love you anymore when you do good things. I want you to do good things because you love me, but I don't love you anymore because you do them. You don't have any more favor with me. You can be disobedient. You can be running from me. You can be cursing my name. You can be, I still love you the same. I'm still coming after you the same. I'm still dying for you the same. I'm still pursuing you the same. I'm still meeting needs for you the same. Doesn't matter. So he's he's drawing this clear line of distinction between being good and doing good. But to sum up, I would give it to you this way tonight. That's this. Goodness is not a means to an end. And I think that's what the, that's what this rich young guy was looking for. He was looking for a means to an end. How, how good do I have to be to inherit eternal life? And goodness is not a means to an end. It's not a means to, it's not the it's not the, the vehicle or the roadway to to God's favor anymore or any more of God's favor, any more of God's blessing than he's going to bless us or already has us as his favor. It's not a, it's not a deeper place in heaven. It's not a better home in heaven. It's not, a, it's not any more of heaven than what we are experience in eternity. Goodness is not a means to an end. It's the evidence. It's the evidence of a changed heart. That's what this, this, this passage back in Matthew 12 spoke to. A good tree is going to bear good fruit. A bad tree is going to bear bad fruit, and that's true. Um, you can get a little bit of good fruit off of a bad tree, but not for long and not in great quantity. We had apple and cherry trees in our backyard growing up. Cherry trees are, fin- about any kind of fruit tree is finicky, to, to tell you the truth, but cherry trees are extremely finicky, and you've got to nurture them and, and you know, be kind to them. And, you know, boys and balls and, and things in backyards aren't good mixes for cherry trees because we're constantly breaking limbs and things, climbing and you know, doing stupid stuff. Anyway, the, the disease, as the disease started to set, on the, set in on those two cherry trees that we eventually cut down because they died, as the disease started to set in, when I was a young kid, I used to pick those things and put them in courts and head up and down the street selling cherries, not because I wanted to, but because my dad thought it would be a good lesson for me. But I used to pick those things and head up and down the street selling cherries, and, and the more those things started to get blight and disease. The, those beautiful red cherries started, instead of being covered on that tree, boy, there'd be maybe a dozen. And the next year, there'd be a half a dozen. Beautiful. But the rest of them were shriveled up, looked like prunes, and never did develop fruit, never did develop on them because of the blight and the disease in the tree. And as I read the, th- over those verses past week, I, uh, my mind's eye, I was going back to that picture to say, yeah, you can, you can get a little fruit off of a bad tree, but not for very long and not in any great quantity. Because a good tree is going to produce good fruit. A healthy tree is going to produce good fruit. That's the byproduct of a changed heart. He's saying your good good behavior, good deeds, ought to be the outgrowth of a changed heart. Not the other way around. Not doing the good deeds so God will like me better, but my heart's still black and it's full of sin. I don't know Him. I still have unconfessed sin in my life. I'm still disobedient to him, yet I think, if, I, if the good outrage the disobedience and the scales are still in my mind, and the enemy's laughing at all of that, saying, yeah, they'll never get it, I've still got them on the goodness hook. <laughs> They're still thinking it's about how good they are. And sadly, that finds its way into the kingdom, not just in our culture. It's finding its way into our churches where we're helping people believe. If they do more, if they show up more, if they sing more, if they know it, they you know, serve more, grab a position. And that's really not about having any more favor of God than we have on our, on our life now. Ruth Graham, back in the 80s, was speaking at a prayer breakfast. And she made an astounding statement, and I've shared it with you before. She made an astounding statement that she believed about 80% of church attenders, and this was back in the late 70s, early 80s. She believed about 80% of church attenders were lost and dying and going to hell. And she made that assumption, and that's a bold assumption, but she made that assumption based on what she saw in this, with this very divide that we're talking about tonight. She didn't put it this way. She didn't put it like, like I'm putting it tonight in the fact that we are we're blurring the lines between being good and doing good, but we are, and I think that's why she came to the position she came to. She came to the position basically because she said there's a thin veneer. I believe that because there's a thin spiritual veneer in most churches. You get beneath the, the veneer, and there's no substance to a person's life. You let them face adversity. Let them face hardship. Let them face a hard place and trial. Some struggle, some sickness, some loss, some death. You let them face some things, and where do they go? They're thin. There's really no maturity. There's no there's no sense of solidity to their faith. There's not relationship there. It's about the very thing that kind of we're talking about tonight. If I do good, God'll like me. If I do bad, He won't. So the good's got to outweigh the bad. And I and I really believe our churches are full of folks today who really be, still believe that. Still believe the the, the better I do. The happier God is with me, the please, more pleased he is with me. And I'm just going to tell you that's a lie from the enemy. Like I said when we started tonight's message, it just is. You can't find that in the scripture. In fact, in the scripture, uh, he turns it around. And he turns it around in this very teaching here in Matthew 19. But he turns it around story after story. He turns it around life after life after life. We talked about, um, I've shared with you recently about this idea that the 12 that he picked were misfits. And I think they were misfits for a reason to reveal to people the sense of passion that can happen when God grabs somebody who's nothing. And here's somebody, Peter in the 12, said, this guy was something. And all he wanted was just a you know a clear direction of, here's what I'll do. And Jesus said, no, it's not a matter of doing good things. It's not a matter of the commandments you keep. Keep them. do the, it, it, don't Don't forget the law. Don't throw out the Old Testament. It's still good. But that's not how you get to me. You get to me by way of the cross. You get to me by way of my shed blood for you, and you get to me by way of Selling your life out to follow me, not by the amount of good versus the bad that you do. Um, Many are content, as I say it, in our culture uh, with keeping those two in in blurred, confused states that doing good means being good, not so with the scripture. Look at how his clothes is, though, here for us in verse 30. Many who who are first will be last, and many who are last will be first. That's his invitation to us, and I think his and my invitation to to you tonight, and that's this i don't know how you've been raised, where you come from what your what your background well I know some of you how you've been raised, but not all of you. I certainly can't see inside any of your hearts to see whether there is genuine relationship and 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 a sense of of um you do life with God. I can't see inside your hearts to see that I can see evidence of it uh, certainly but I can't see inside your hearts and, and don't want to. That's between you and God. Here's, here's what I want you to hear from me. In a world that, that holds goodness to be supreme, uh, in fact, God will like you more if you're good and versus the bad. In a world that sees culture and even sees the church, even sees the kingdom that way, what, what I want to share with you tonight is, is, is just lose yourself and, and lose some of that thinking, if you will, to come to him. If that's what you've been trained, that's what you've been taught in, and that's, what, that's all you've ever known, I'm going to ask you to unring a hard-to-unring bell in your mind, to unlearn some hard-learned things in your mind and go back and revisit, do I really know him? Have I really laid my life down for him and said, I'm giving it to you. All I am, I give to you. Or has my relationship with him been over years of osmosis? Have I absorbed my faith? From church or from camp or from youth events or from whatever, from my grandmother. Why you fill in the blank. Have I absorbed my faith from all of that? Or do I know that I know that I know I have a relationship with him? Did I know him personally? Well here's what he here's what he says, and it's, I think it's great closing remarks to these guys. And I don't know if I don't know if the if this rich young guy I kinda of getting my mind's out. he's standing off at a distance. Because Jesus' response here is certainly to the 12, but it's the, there's a, there are other people standing around here because he just, he just finished teaching. And, and, in fact, these few verses before that we looked at, chapter 19 here, he's, he's brought the children to him. Says, don't, and the people said, children shouldn't come to sit on a teacher's lap. And he says, no, don't stop that. These are, this is the kingdom of heaven here, children. In fact, all, everybody should come to me like this, with this kind of blind trust and faith that only they can have. And so people were around hearing this story and and probably hearing this whole instance here publicly. And I think for the 12's benefit and for their benefit and probably standing out at a distance for this rich young man's benefit, he says that the last are going to be first and the first are going to be last. You'll never hear an invitation from anybody in our culture in this world that says, come be last. (laughs) Come put yourself last. Come put yourself behind and beneath and below Everything and everyone and everybody else. That's what he says, though. He says, come be last, and in being last with me, you're first. I'll put you first. Now, you may not see it here, but you'll be first. If you want to be first here, you're probably going to end up being last with me. Um, that's not a real compelling <laughs> sell, is it? You go to to any recruiter's office that's trying to recruit you to a job or trying to recruit you in the military or nothing else. Here's what we got for you, son. You look here, and here's what your life's going to turn out like. You got these opportunities. You got this. You can can get this. You can get the GI Bill and get out and get get a good education and make something of yourself. And Jesus' invitation says, come be last. Come lose yourself. Come Come to know me and follow me in total abandonment. Abandon everything you know, everything you have. That's what he told this guy. Are you willing to give it up? Everything you've got. Is he calling us to that tonight? Only if we struggle with it. If you and I are still struggling with the things we've accumulated and the things we've accomplished, if that's our world and that's what we worship, then maybe, yeah, he's asking us to give all that up. Whatever it is that's that's in the way of him is what he wants us to lay down and give up. That's what he's asking us to say. Will you be last? Will 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 you chuck all that aside and I'm, on, I'm only enough. I mean, only me is enough for you. That's all you need. Does that resonate with you? Um, I hope tonight, as you revisit, and I hope in what we've shared together, you have revisited this idea of is that me? Have I been have I been believing all these years that goodness relates to sacredness, relates to holiness, relates to godliness, relates to the things that the good things I've done to make God like? Have I really believed that all these years? And And now Jesus is looking at that and says, no, that's not the way it is. And if I believe the lie, maybe it's my fault. If I believe the lie, maybe it's the fault of others who have sown into me, either naively or intentionally. What I want to ask you to do tonight is come to grips with the truth. And the truth is this. He says, knowing me is what it's about, not doing good things. Knowing me is what it's about. And so I invite you tonight to come know him and uh, to put yourself last. And Steve Brown has authored a, a good book. In fact, I stole his title for the, for the title of tonight's message, from Being Good Isn't Good Enough. It's a great book by Steve Brown. He's got a great little uh, statement in there that says, you know, we believe, and I'm paraphrasing his statement, but we believe that freedom is the thing that leads to obedience. He said, we've, we've got that all messed up because obedience to him, is a thing that leads to freedom. Knowing Him, knowing His ways, walking in His ways is the thing that frees us the most because He's got us. When we realize we walk with Him to, to, to the degree that we know He's got it and He's got us, regardless of what we face, regardless of what we walk through, what we experience, He's got it and He's got us. We get it. And ultimate freedom grows out of that. We reverse that though in our culture to where we think that, that freedom binds us and that, that, that Freedom is the result of freedom is we gotta follow a bunch of rules to to know God. And it's it's totally the other way around. And so I hope tonight that our time has been spent with some bit of recollection spiritually on your part to say, Is what I've experienced of him this? Is it that? Is it is it this last nine week walk we've had through this idea of what cultural Christianity, do I look like that? I mean somebody on the outside end, would they would they define me as a cultural Christian? But they define me as having a faith of convenience, where God's in this box and He never gets out; He stays right there? And I got this box over here at work, and I got this this hobby box and the vacation box, and I got the the parenting box and, the spa, and, I, and I got all these relationships and, and the God box. He I open Him up on Sundays and occasionally if I'm, if I'm praying for somebody that needs surgery or you know, what at work, or, but I keep God in the God box, and that's what cultural Christians do, and as we've seen that kind of unfold itself after, over these last several weeks. I hope it's caused us to re-examine is that me? Or Do I look even a little bit like that? Um, I would endorse to you as well a book that our community group is going through uh, by David Platt called Radical. Uh, in fact I've gleaned, stolen some, some of the things for these last few weeks uh, from him to share with you but um, God's calling us to something deeper in this city than what we've known, what we've experienced. He's calling us to a faith that's more contagious than any we've ever tried to live before. He's called us to, calling us to a belief and to a, to a way of parenting, to a way of doing marriage, to a way of handling money, to a way of walk, doing our vocation. He's calling us to something that's deeper than what we've experienced. And are we willing to follow it? I hope we are. He calls us tonight to come be last. And if you don't know him, I invite you to come tonight and pray and receive him into your heart. i will be happy to share with you how to do that. You know how to do that on your own? You can pray in your seat. There's nothing sacred about an altar, but you're welcome to come here and pray if you like. Or in your seat or however God leads. My my goal is just that we find ourselves in a place of obedience Um, because a place of obedience is where we can get the most good out of our our heart and out of our life and um, a place where we can experience the most change, experience Him the most. Thanks again for listening to today's message from Crosspoint Church, helping people navigate the journey toward an authentic, biblical, and contagious walk with Christ.